Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion. It's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. With When he said, it's what you ought to be, it's what you can be, and it's what you will be. As we started discussing just as staff a few months ago, when we were trying to prayerfully discern what God wanted us to do for Christmas, and we just kind of got on the question, you know, what is, what is it about Christmas that creates for many this, this excitement, this anticipation, this, you know, yearning? Like, for example, how many of you, and just be honest, just own it, how many of you already are listening to Christmas carols, Christmas songs? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you have already decorated? Raise your hand. Be honest. All right. That's good. How many of you are just super excited? You love Thanksgiving, Christmas, the whole holiday season? Just raise your hand. All right. That's good. Why is that? Then why, at the same time, are there also quite a few who just really struggle at Christmas? You know, they dread it. Like, they don't... They don't put up a tree unless they have to, right? Unless the family threatens or um, they, they just really wish they could jump from, you know, November 14th, 15th to January the 1st. Anybody like that? Just wish you could just hit, hit skip, right? Wish you could fast forward on remote control. And why is that? For many, it's a time of dread because loved ones that have always been there aren't going to be there. It's going to be my first Christmas without my dad. So it's going to be a, a transition, something different. There will be, a, you know, there'll be a void in the seat he always sits in as we open gifts or, you know, sing some carols, eat lobster. That's what we eat at Christmas. It's really awesome. There'll be a void there. So why, what is it about Christmas that causes the panorama, the the extreme excitement, anticipation, Christmas spirit, if you will, to the dread, dark, just kind of, mm, let's skip this. I believe it all goes back to what General MacArthur was hitting on and what we're going to talk about today. Because Christmas gives us a taste of what ought to be, of what can be, and what will be. So for those of us who still have a lot of our loved ones, we look forward to that. We look forward to getting back together for reunion. We look forward to going to that place where there's always plenty. We look forward to a place where there's giving of gifts and love being shared. We look forward to that, that time when we can just rest and relax. We don't have to get up at 6 a.m. and go to work. We, we don't have to do these things. There's these good tastes. And for those of us that may dread it, it reminds us of what ought to be that we don't have, or what can be and could be, that, and it's not. So I believe that both sides of this response to Christmas kind of points us to what will be. And that's what we're going to read about this morning, what will be. So Revelation chapter 7, please stand and honor the reading of, of uh, God's word. Revelation chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John's having a vision. Um, God, Jesus is showing him things. And so we're going to, from John's point of view, things that will be. 
And so John says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, all standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were there, standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning for who you are, for all that you've done, and for what you are doing and what you will do. And we praise you for this vision that you gave your servant John, and now vicariously you give this vision to us of what ought to be, what can be, and what will be. So Lord, I just pray that as we begin this series, Lord, just create within our hearts, our minds, even our spirits, a a, a greater yearning and longing for uh, your love, your glory, your presence in our lives to to follow you now, knowing what's coming ahead. And God, I just pray you use this series um, just to accomplish your purpose in us. God, to make some who may be listening or or watching here or watching online, maybe some who aren't your followers yet, to convert and become your followers. Or God, maybe some who are here or watching online to, God, to be challenged and stretched in their faith to follow you more intently and purposefully. But God, whatever it is, wherever we are, we just pray you accomplish that next step you have for all of us, for your glory's sake, in Christ's name, amen. Thanks, go ahead and be seated. All right, so um, if you have your sermon insert, go ahead and, and grab it, and you can take some notes as we go and follow along. Um, and we go to the big thought, and you can find the big thought. There we go, good deal. The big thought this morning is that at Christmas time, as we celebrate Christ, we are reminded of all that we have to hope for simply and singularly because of Jesus. Our hope is not anything based on our abilities, our merits, our ability to dream stuff up. It's all singularly based on Christ. Amen? And so let's just kind of break this down. Number one in your notes, we yearn for reunion. We yearn for reunion. The first picture here is this, there's this gathering, this multitude of people from every 
tribe from every nation, every language, multitude. We don't know how many a multitude is, but it's a big number. Usually when the Bible uses the term multitude, it means a number beyond being able to be counted. Right? So it's a, a vast number. So all these people are gathered together and coming together. One, one scholar says, here the promised multitude is gathered from all nations. The hope of the gospel has touched all of mankind. We see that right now of the nearly 13,000 people groups that are in the world. And a people group is defined as any group of people with their own language, their own culture, kind of their own identity. There's nearly 13,000 different people groups in the world. And of those, over 3,000 currently are categorized as unreached and or unengaged. Unreached is defined a people group where less than 3% of that population of the people group are born again Christians. Unengaged is where less than 1% are born again Christians. So a lot of work is yet to be done. And of those 3.7 billion persons that still don't have adequate opportunity to hear the gospel, we see here that the Lamb of God does reach does penetrate, does save, does gather them together because of the gospel. The gospel is going to be heard and is going to be believed among every single people group on the planet. And we see this guarantee in scripture, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus tells us this, he says, this gospel, the good news of Jesus, it will be proclaimed, not hopefully, right? Not maybe, it will. It's definite. This gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And that Greek word nations there, if you have that in your notes, just circle that in your Bible. Just circle that word nations. That's not talking about political boundaries, nations. That's not like talking about Iraq and Iran or the United States. That's talking about ethne, ethnic groups, people groups. Every people group. And then the end will come. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Amen. Well, let's get about it. Let's get the gospel out to all the nations so he can come back and get us. Right? That's what I'm talking about. So, but who are these people? Who are this, this multitude gathered together? A lot of different ideas. You know, Revelation is one of these difficult books because it's apocalyptic literature and um, just kind of as an aside, like a little, little theology 101 class for you here in like three minutes. There's different ways that Christians and scholars read the book of Revelation. Just so you know, this the first is called the historicist view. If you go to the next slide there, Ann. Um, the hist- um, well, maybe not. Um, should be before that. Maybe it's not up there. But number one is the historicist view. And this shows that Revelation is a symbolic representation that presents the course of history from the apostles' life through the end of the age. So that when John writes the book of Revelation from his point of view, it's all future. But it unfolds throughout history. Um, some goes so far as to say like each of the seven churches really symbolically represents a different period of time in the history of the church. Um, the, the downside of this view is that the system only works if you're just focusing on the European church. It doesn't work if you're focusing on the global church, right? But it's still a view that's often taught. The second is called the preterist view, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. Oh, there it is. And the preterist view, which preterist means past. And so what this means, most people, they have the preterist view, which is a growing, um, a growing group 
in our in our in Christendom today believes that most Revelation one through about chapter nineteen took place before the fall of, of Jerusalem. And then chapters 20, 21, and 22 is still future. That's kind of the preterist view. Then number three, where most, um, I would say most people fall, is the futurist view. That teaches the events of, of what Jesus teaches in Matthew 24 and Revelation chapters tw- uh, 4 through 22 all occur in the future. And so that's Revelation 1.19 tells us, write therefore the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. We see kind of a, a deal there. And the fourth view, which very few people hold, is the spiritual view or idealistic view. Here's why I have to go through all that. How you read Revelation determines what you understand these people to be, this multitude to be. If you're in the preterist camp, these people are those that will be saved the Gentiles will be saved because of God's launching the church and launching the new covenant after the final end of Jerusalem in 70 AD. If you're more of a futurist, you'll see this either as those who are saved because of the evangelistic zeal of the 144,000 Jews during the Great Tribulation, or you will see this as all the believers from the rapture of the church. But regardless of where you're at, regardless if you have no idea what I just talked about for the last three minutes, that's okay. This is a picture of the believers coming together to worship Jesus. This reminds us of the great reunion we have with believers that we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 16 and 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we have this hope, right? This, this strong reminder that we will be reunited with all the believers of all time. Just, just, just think about it for a moment. The loved ones that you have no longer with you. Look forward to locking arm in arm with them once again, don't we? I look forward to standing beside my dad again, praising Jesus. Look forward to that, right? Look forward to meeting believers I haven't met yet, but read about, you know? I mean, gosh, we're gonna, you're gonna meet the apostle Paul. And, you know, you might be tempted to start asking, immediately asking him a bunch of questions. Hey, what did you mean by, you know? But before that, you're just going to, wow, this is, this is Paul. You're going to meet Mary Magdalene. You're going to meet all these people we've read and studied about for decades. Reunion. You're going to meet those that have come to know Jesus because of your influence. Some you'll remember. Oh, I remember when I talked to Jesus about you. I remember when I had you in my second grade Sunday school class. Then there's going to be some that come up to you and you'll have no clue. I don't, I don't remember you. What happened? Well, remember you, you told this to this such in person. Well, that person told me. And you're going to be, wow, reunion. It's going to be great. It's what ought to be. It's what can be. It's what will be. We have this hope. But also, I just want to, just as an aside, 
if you're still, if you're alive and you still have your, your parents and your grandparents still alive, listen to me, please. I wish someone had told me this when I was 20. This Christmas, this Thanksgiving, when you're there at your grandparents' house, you're there with aunts and uncles, you're there with even parents, put the phone down and ask them questions. Say, hey, what was it like when you were a kid, Grandma? What was, what was church like when you were a kid? What was school like? What did you, what did you do for fun? It won't be Xbox, I'll tell you that. They have lived in a life that's so different than ours. I mean, for a lot of you that are younger, can you imagine life without, not just without cell phones, can you imagine life without computers, without laptops, iPads, without TVs? Without a toilet in the house. (laughs) You're still alive when there's a generation that remembers those days. Anybody here grew up in a house without a toilet inside? Just raise your hand. Look at that. Just keep your hands up. Look at that. That's amazing. They know what it's like in the middle of January when it's 15 degrees to have to run outside and go to the potty. (laughs) It's things of nightmares, right? Or when you have to go out to go potty, you have to lift the seat to make sure there's not a brown recluse or black widow down there first, right? <laughs> Spend time, treasure. I wish I could go back and just sit with my grandparents one more time and ask them all the questions I now wish I'd have asked, but when I was 19, 20, 15, I was just too preoccupied with being a teenager. Don't miss the opportunity because that will fuel your desire for reunion. It's a holy thing. It's a gospel thing to listen and to be invested into by the older generation. And I guarantee you, I don't know of a single grandparent, aunt, or uncle that if one of the kids come up and ask you those kind of questions, just makes their holiday. Not just the day, but the whole season. I love it. Love it. So do that. That feeds that desire for the reunion. Number two, we long for togetherness. We long for togetherness. They all, they're all coming together, whether they were, it's because of the rapture, because of the martyr, because of the gospel. They're all coming together. And this is a beautiful thing. Psalm 34, verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses nine and 10 says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Together. Christmas time, Thanksgiving, you get to see family that perhaps you don't get to see much at all the rest of the year. I know the older I get, when I was, when I was younger, We'd have the family gatherings and my mom would always do this thing where she would stand up and she would try to, her and my dad one would lead the prayer and inevitably my mom would shed a tear and we would laugh at her, (laughs) right? Oh, mom, come on, mom's crying again, right? And we would ask her, why are you crying? She's like, 
It's just so incredible to have all my family together. In one ear, out the other. Now, I'm a dad with two grown kids who have moved away, and it's a very rare thing to have them all together. I get it now. Together is good. It's what ought to be. It's what can be, and it's what will be. We yearn for that. We long for it, that togetherness. And how much did we learn about the importance of together the last two years? I mean, Christmas 2020, some of you spent Christmas with each other via Zoom. You had your TV set up by the dinner table so you could see other members of the family because you weren't at a place where you were able to, to gather. You mailed packages and watched each other open packages through a camera. It's better than nothing. But didn't we miss together? Together is good. Yeah. Last year, maybe you couldn't hug the necks, couldn't shake the hand, couldn't kiss the cheek. Uncles couldn't give noogies. (laughs) This year, maybe we'll be back together. It's good. We long for that. Number three, we love to celebrate. Here are these this multitude along with the angels and with the elders and the four living creatures that are all gathered for one purpose, to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate the salvation that he has given to every single one of them and us. Many of the amazing things Jesus did, he did so in times of celebration. He gets celebration. We love celebration. I mean, who doesn't like a good, fun party, right? They're great. And I'm not talking about the wild debauchery parties In our flesh, maybe you love those, but I'm talking even in a holy sense, we can get together, have a great time and celebrate. We see Jesus was big into celebrations. Where was Jesus at when he did his first miracle? At a wedding, a celebration, where he turned water into wine and they celebrated. Jesus was often criticized because he would go and party with tax collectors. He, He... chose Levi to be, which is named Matthew, to be his disciple. Immediately, Matthew invites him to his house and Jesus goes and has a big feast with all these other tax collectors, the lowest rung of Jewish culture and society. They were just a little under prostitutes, right? Jesus partied with them in a way of of having fun and celebrating salvation and hope that they had in Christ. Jesus goes and calls out Zacchaeus who climbed up in the tree and what did he say? Zacchaeus, come down because I'm going to your house. And it wasn't for just one-on-one time. It was for celebration because Zacchaeus had all of his buddies come over. It was a feast, a celebration. What was Jesus doing when he instituted the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, communion? It was a celebration of the Passover. What was going on when the Holy Spirit in his sovereignty chose to come and fill believers? It was a celebration of Pentecost. There's a lot of parties in the New Testament, a lot of celebrations. We love to celebrate. How many of you had some kind of party or celebration when the Blues won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago? 
Or when the Cardinals won the World Series. Yeah, Laverne's back there. Woo, that was me, right? Yeah, we like to celebrate. We love to celebrate. Birthday parties. You have a family member has a birthday. What do you do? Usually you go out to dinner, you make a cake, and you have streamers up. We love to celebrate. And that's the way we're wired. We're wired because we are created to celebrate Jesus, to worship Jesus, coming together, celebrating him, our salvation, victories, and triumphs is, is a taste of heaven right here. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 69 says this. It says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of, of, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. He'll swallow up on this mountain the, the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that he has spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. So let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Just that day when it's, it's here. Don't you look forward to that? You yearn for that. Celebration, we love it. Number four, we also, we seek rest and refuge. Rest and refuge. I had a, a pastor friend in the area who ran a marathon in Indianapolis last weekend, and so much training went into that. Your pastor will never do that. <laughs> but for him, he had so much training going into that, and you know, he ran the 26.2 across the finish line. What a, an accomplishment. You know he's tired. I would be ex- totally exhausted, right? But he made it. He did it. And just think about when we get to that point and we're in Christ and we're there. It's over. The suffering has ended. Breathe. Rest. Relax. No more persecution. So for one view of these multitudes, they'd come out of the great tribulation where there was persecution and suffering. It's over. Nothing else to fear. No more concern for loved ones. Sit down. Kick your shoes off. Prop your feet up. Don't worry about panic phone calls coming. No emergencies at the office. No anxiety about what's about to happen or what's not going to happen. You're safe. No snipers. No upcoming patrols. For you military combat vets, no threat of enemy fire. We love rest and refuge. Um, Christmas movies, they have begun officially at the Carr household. We started with Elf. Great one. We usually end up, I wish we could say we're so holy that we end up with like the nativity or something. We end up with Christmas vacation. Yeah. But um, Christmas vacation, I've seen, you know, where it's Christmas morning, Christmas day, and they're in there making the food, and there's the grandpas. They're both in their easy chairs, and what are they doing? They're both snoring, like in unison. You know, they're, they're snoring at the same time. It's just a hilarious scene. But man, that's, that's good, though, isn't it? Good to be able to go somewhere. You can just relax. 
Don't worry about, oh, I got to get to work later. Or, oh, I got to make this phone call. Oh, I got to check that email. Oh, some so-and-so could be in trouble. Or much greater troubles like our veterans have experienced. We're going to get attacked tonight. There's snipers. There's an ambush coming. No worries. Isn't that great? It's great. I know Tara's grandmother, she's now with Jesus, but I was just thinking about her home. Every time we went to her home, I'd sit on her couch, and no matter who was there, no matter what was going on, within 15 minutes, I'm the guy snoring on the couch. It was just a place of peace, and it was just relaxing, and it was quiet, except when my kids were there, but it was usually quiet. We love that rest. Rest is a part of this. It's part of that expectation. Hebrews chapter four says, so then there there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Here, In Revelation 7, this this multitude had gathered, and there was rest. It says here in verse 14, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, but they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's over. Breathe easily. Number five, we pursue belonging and purpose we pursue belonging and purpose. Verse 15, they're, they're before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. Purpose, living it out every moment of every day, belonging. They're supposed to be there. What's one thing we love about Christmas? Well, we may have a terrible year. We might have gotten fired. We might have lost friends. Might have even lost a marriage. But mama's always there, right? Or dad's always there. Or my brothers or my sisters are always there. I can always go home. Because I belong. Church, family. It's to be a place where we always belong. No matter how different we may be. Some of us are pretty, pretty different but we always belong to taste what's to come. It's not just about being together and having a reunion. There's this sense that we're supposed to be there. We're wanted. We're loved. We don't feel like an outsider. We mesh. We fit. We don't have to put on a show. We don't have to act a certain way that's not really true to who we are. We can just be ourselves. Ephesians 2.19 says, Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens or, or foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Number six, we enjoy abundance. I love this. love the Isaiah passage, the feast picture that God paints there, and we kind of see that here. As well, in verse 18, they shall hunger no more, nor shall they thirst anymore. There's always plenty. You know, I remember going to my, my dad's mom's house, and she was, they were, they were, yeah, you know, I read the rednecks, they're in the mountain, they're hillbillies. And they were hillbillies. I mean, I could tell you so many stories, but 
you walk in and immediately walk in and, and there's this smell that would just, in a good way, knock you down. And it was her cooking fried fish, you know, and she used lard. It was old school, right? It was probably heart stoppers and clog, you know, artery cloggers, but boy, it was good. And it, you could smell it when you got out of the car and walking into the old farmhouse, you could smell the cooking going on. And, and I mean, there was a lot of fish and cornbread and beans, green beans, pinto beans, which I don't like, lima beans. It was corn on the cob all out of her garden. It was just, anybody hungry yet? It was just massive spread every Christmas. Always plenty. Never a shortage of food. Never a shortage of gifts. You always hear, after the meal, oh, I'm stuffed. Back to Tara's grandmother, the same house I would sleep in all the time. We'd have a meal, and, and I don't know why she always picked on me, but after the meal was, after it looked like I was finished eating, she'd always say, well, Daniel, is that all you're going to eat? I mean, Memo, I've already eaten four plates. I'm glad I didn't always take her advice or you'd have a, a lot more of a pastor. So. <laughs> We're blessed. I mean, for most of us, we, we've not had to worry about where our next meal's coming from. Very few in here probably have really experienced true hunger or starvation. But that's not the case for so many 2010, um, we went down to, to Haiti after the earthquake. You might remember that. And uh, we were did several things, but one thing we did, we went to a specific orphanage. They, they had 22 kids. And we get in that orphanage, and um, you know, you've seen pictures of malnourished where their bellies start to bloat. And that's every single one of the kids was having that going on. And so we get there, we go to the, the gentleman who runs the orphanage, and he was as skinny as a rail. And we're saying, what, how much food do you have? So he took us to the little kitchen, and he opened the pantry, and he had this big blue tote, plastic tote, like you get at Walmart. And it said rice on it. And so he opened it up, and it was completely empty. We're like, when's the last time that you and these kids have eaten? He just kind of looked, and he said, it's been three days. So we hightail it to the market. We, we buy chickens, we buy rice, we buy vegetables. I mean, we get all kinds of stuff. We, we want to load them up for at least a month. So we, we go, because in Haiti, it's just really, for, for an American, it's really cheap. You know, like we, we got a month's worth of food for like 150 bucks. Incredible. That wouldn't last a half a week in my house. But we go and we get all this stuff and cook this feast of chicken and Man, these kids are just tearing into it. They're just ripping, they have a chicken in both hands, you know, just tearing into it. They're just starving. I saw one kid take another chicken. He finished one, threw it down. While he's eating this, he takes another and he puts it in his pocket. Then he gets another and puts another one in his pocket. Takes a pile of green beans and stuffs them in his hoodie pocket. Just desperate. Because he doesn't know where his next meal's coming from, Right? He knows that food's going to get eaten. And what's he going to have for later? He's storing. He's hard. That's not what ought to be. What ought to be, what can be, what will be, there shall hunger no more.
When we go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, we see the, the table just loaded with food. We're like, yeah, we're excited. Got the dad who's trying to get a little piece of the turkey before it's quite done, you know, and mama's smacking his hand. We love it. It's plenty. We enjoy abundance. Number, in John 6, it says, when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. The miracle of the multiplication of the fish and loaves. We love it because there was people there with no food and they got filled and satisfied and there was still leftovers. Plenty. Abundance. Number seven, we hunger for joy. Hunger for joy. Verse 17 ends up, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, satisfaction. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more sorrow, only that joy the beauty of rest, the reality of purpose, the peace of belonging, the realization of hope, faith becoming sight, the certainty of everlasting. All of that gives us hope. Not just one day, but even right now. You're struggling with hope or struggling to find hope. Let hope of what ought to be, can be, and will be minister to your heart because the joy that we have in Jesus John 15 11 Jesus says these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what full just say that with me full full of joy say in the south happy as a tick right just full overflowing of joy because of who Jesus is because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus would love and save a wretch like me and like you. He saves us. We don't deserve that. My goodness. Everything we talked about, all the, the plenty, the abundance, the, the togetherness, the reunion, the purpose, the belonging. Folks, in Jesus, we get all of that. Forever. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve the opposite. We deserve isolation. We deserve not plenty, but lack. We deserve not joy, but sorrow. We deserve punishment. That's what the Bible teaches, because we're sinners. What love is this? God so loved us in this midst of our sin. Romans 5 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't just die for us, he left heaven to begin with to come for us. And he lived a sinless, perfect, flawless life, void of any sin, not a hint of sin. When he was tempted, he overcame. When he was persecuted, reviled, he didn't lash back out and revile in return. When he was mocked and spit on and beaten, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And it continues. 
Today, when we deny him, when we disobey him, we get selfish and live life our ways instead of his ways. He's continuing what happened. I mean, it's, it's what put him on the cross. But he still is loving us anyway. He even tells us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. As crazy or as wayward as we get at times, he's right there with you. What love is this? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You embraced his love for you. Have you embraced the salvation he gives us? Have you trusted in him and in him alone for your salvation? Repented of your sin? Repented of following your own ways and your own agendas, your own ideologies? Instead, you said, Lord, I just want to follow you forever. Because you know what? When you follow Jesus, we know where it ends up. It ends up worshiping Jesus in the most amazing reunion you can fathom. Filled with purpose, filled with plenty, filled with rest, and an abundance of joy. And you don't get that anywhere else. There is no other name given under heaven among men through which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. Because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No other name. Jesus is life. And that life is the light of mankind. No one else. Jesus himself said it like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Are you going through Jesus right now? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your love is amazing. We sang about it earlier. Your amazing love, your amazing grace that you and your majesty, your splendor, your might, your perfection, your glory would humble yourself to the point of becoming one of us, but not just becoming one of us, becoming a servant and becoming obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death by means of capital punishment, the means of death only reserved for the worst of criminals and outsiders. Lord, you came to save us and we treated you with contempt with spite with arrogance sinfully but Jesus that did not deter your love one bit you continue to go to the cross for us and die in our place receiving upon yourself the punishment that we deserve you became our substitute our lamb you died the death that we deserve but Jesus you rose again from the grave of your own power and might conquering not only our sin but conquering the consequence of our sin death so that now through you and you alone 
We can be forgiven. We can be born again, born to an eternal life, born to a life in you, Jesus, and be granted these amazing benefits of living for you and with you and in you. The benefit of forgiveness, the benefit of purpose, belonging, relationships. It's good. Lord, you're so good. So Lord, may we worship you right now in our response. God, for some here, some watching online, that appropriate response may be to give their life to you, to trust you, Jesus, as a Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that happens this morning. Lord, for others who have received you and trusted in you, God, appropriate response for them is repentance of, of not living their life for you as they are called to or getting in a rut or putting you kind of on the back burner. Maybe they're steeped in a sinful situation. So Lord, I just pray you use this time to speak to our hearts about where we are and about where we need to be. Help us to just catch this vision of what ought to be, what can be, what will be. So Lord, do your work in us for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name.